is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Gets a shot, that point, he scores! Hughes threw it to the net. Pedersen was parked in front, and he might have deflected it. Casey DeSmith having a very tough start to this hockey game as the Canucks make it 3 to nothing. Turns it over to Kenny Malkin at his own line. Here's Malkin, drops right circle for Zucker to the net. In front for Malkin, he scores! Poor puck management comes back to bite the Canucks again as Evgeny Malkin scores his second of the night. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Gensel to the line for Ty Smith. Left circle, Malkin, heavy slap shot. Stopped by Martin, rebound in front for Raquel. He scores on the side of the net. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks drop a 5-3 decision in Pittsburgh against the Penguins, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Vic Nizar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. Satyar Shaw with Vic Nizar. We are going to welcome in Randy Janda into the discussion coming up in a moment here, Vic, but like Canucks held a 3-0 lead in the first period um a game's a run of play with how the penguins were playing to start the game but nonetheless had a three nothing lead but they did something they've done seven previous times this season and that is below a multi-goal lead that leads to a loss make it eight now and again nhl record uh is 13 in a season uh, which is dating back to the 85-86 Red Wings and Devils and then the 2013-14 Islanders. So Canucks uh, more than halfway there with more than half of the season to go. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, tonight's score actually flatters what that game was like. It's a one-goal game, 5-4 victory for the Penguins, but it really wasn't Are a one-goal win. Are you suggesting maybe it should have been like an 8-6 game again? I mean, on, I probably should, I think probably should have been I, like I, a seven seven two win, seven three win. Really, is what it should have been for Pittsburgh tonight. Oh, really? I mean, well, I guess Pedersen. You can kind of look at it, yeah. Like the four goals feel like full value for Vancouver. I mean, did the Smith one? I mean, he really helped. Yes. Yeah, it's it's just a weird game. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, if it's I... just a really weird game. All right, uh, let's welcome in uh, our friend Randeep Jand into the discussion now. Randeep, um, the Canucks blew another lead tonight. What did you make of how the Canucks played tonight's game? Yeah, the first half of that first period, guys, that was opportunistic, and I'm putting it kindly because yes, they got the opportunities and they made use of them. So three nothing, great. You get those opportunities, you make use of it. Problem is defensively we saw what was going on tonight it was it was a a mess in front of you know Spencer Martin and that's why Pittsburgh was able to score three goals in less than 10 minutes where in front of the net for both teams to be quite honest in that first period it was open season you know there's a lot of space to operate and that's that was really the beginning of the game but you know later on as you go you look at the five on five game scoring chances it's two to one for the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? You've got 32 to 16. You've got high danger chances, 18 to 11, and you know they put on a decent push near the end. There, shouts to Brock Besser for making a great play on that empty net play to give his team a chance to get into it. But that second period and the ability of Pittsburgh to score a couple of power play goals, where Vancouver 0 for 5, that effectively, you know, 
we can we're gonna talk about the defense and we've talked about the defense all season long, but in that game, the difference was one team was able to make it work on the power play, the other team could not. I just wonder too, Randeep, of like the mental block this creates and you know, you're constantly just looking for the team to show a little bit of des- bit of desire, and mm-hmm. it just never se- seriously materializes for prolonged stretches. And then, like this, feels like it's reverting back to November. It's been a while since they've blown a multi goal lead, but here they are in this situation again. Yeah, and you know, watching and you know covering that game where you saw those opportunities, and and Sat, you mentioned it against the run of play, right? Like every single one of those goals was rope a hockey where you're yeah. absorbing pressure and it goes back the other way. And Bic, today it wasn't even all that surprising, right? The way that they scored those goals, a confident team says, hey, we're in this position, we're up 2 nothing, we're up 3 nothing. all right, we haven't even played our best hockey yet. You lean into it and you start to really you know, get into your system. Maybe you, you fall into place at that point in time and say, hey, that was lucky, but we'll take it. The Canucks are not confident right now, and you saw that as that game went on and that first period went on. And, and Pittsburgh, that goalie change really woke them up. Casey DeSmith, you know, two of those goals were, were rough, mm-hmm. uh, really bad look for him. They get Tukarski in there. He provides a little bit of balance. He was actually really good down low, even in the second and third period where the Canucks had some opportunities. But from a Canucks confidence perspective, even though they were ahead 3 nothing in that first period, you know, you know, they were not feeling confident about their game. And that's the difference between teams that generally – you know, when we talk about a very professional performance, whether yeah. it's a Winnipeg or it's a, you know, a Dallas Stars type of team or look across the league, uh, even a New York Islanders who we saw in Vancouver, if they, they get lucky and they're a couple of goals ahead, that's when they clamp down and they get start playing within their system. And the Canucks didn't really have that, and they haven't had that all season long. And, and you saw it plain simple today. No, you, you really did. And, you know, to Bix's point, the Canucks did have some chances. Elias Patterson mm-hmm. probably could have had at least two or three goals tonight, but he wasn't able to capitalize. And I will say, Dustin Tokarski allow, allowed that one goal to make it 5-4. But outside of that, I think that call that Mike Sullivan made to pull to, uh, Casey DeSmith and after that first period essentially won that game for the Penguins. Oh, absolutely. And even that goal he allowed on Dermott, he almost had that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Barely crossed the goal line. So, you know, what I liked about his game was, A, you know, down low, he was stopping almost everything. And secondly, there's some questionable moments in front of the Canucks goal. We saw, you know, the five alarm situations that were going on in, in the blue paint. But Pittsburgh had a few in front of their net, in the crease as well. But Tokarski did a good job of covering down low and continually competing. And this is a guy that's bounced around from the AHL in the NHL. His first game action this year, he was hungry, and he saw an opportunity there where Casey DeSmith was pulled. Tristan Jari's injured right now, and he played well. But, you know, we saw we saw some maybe, you know, worried situations in and around Pittsburgh's net, but way more in Vancouver's side of things where Spencer Martin, uh, to his credit, uh, I think he tried the best he could. It wasn't a solid game from him, but – it wasn't a solid game from his defense either. But Tokarski, I thought, you know, that was a great move by Sullivan to to really essentially wake up his team. And, you know, the guy that it feels like every time he plays the Canucks, he's putting up points. Your boy. At home. Evgeny Malkin, Vic, you know how much I love yeah. him as a player. I, he's one of my favorite players. But the last two home games against the Canucks in Pittsburgh, he's got nine points. <laughs> a five-pointer last time in 2019 and another four points tonight. Uh, could the Canucks have uh, done that same move too uh, with a goalie flip? Like, was that a lever uh, Boudreaux could have pulled at some point, you think? I, okay, I was halfway through this game. I was heading into the second period. I did wonder at some point, 
you know, can you make that move? And if there was any point, it was after the fifth goal, right? When you're you're looking at that situation, the game is 5-3, and Ricard Raquel scores that goal, and you just want to wake up your team. The power play is where they scored, and you can't really necessarily – I wasn't looking and saying, hey, Spencer Martin's the problem with this – with this, uh, the team tonight, they were losing because of him. But can you motivate? It's probably that spot where you come out with the maybe the yanking him there after the fifth mm-hmm. goal and, and just try to wake up your team. And, and that's the one area I would look at and say, yeah, the Canucks needed something. They had, what, you know, just uh, eight shots on goal, I think halfway through the uh, – in the final 40 minutes of the game, halfway through this third period, which mm-hmm. they needed something. They needed a spark where Pittsburgh was getting the opportunities – and so if there's any time I'm looking at that, Bick, it was probably after that Ricard Raquel goal. Yeah, and you know what? Like, we can sit here and say, uh, you know, the Canucks maybe could have pulled the goalie and, you know, maybe they could have capitalized on some opportunities and all these things and maybe could have got a couple of saves. Absolutely. And, and hey, if some of those things happen, maybe they win the game and get to overtime for sure, right? But Torgi sends this in and says there's one single big problem. Defensive breakdown, structure, they play the game wrong. They make me so angry because they can't play the right way when they need to read the game. And... It's it's so obvious what Torgi's mentioning is mm-hmm. they're not playing hockey the right way. It's fire wagon hockey. You know, Bick and I were bemoaning the fact of how much space they allow guys like Sidney Crosby yep. and Kenny Malkin. They don't play winning hockey. Slow line changes, right? Like bad decisions with the puck. Puck management is not good. Yeah, you create chances. Yeah, you're in hockey games. You got some skill and everything. But this is in no way, shape, or form respectable, professional winning hockey. Guys, if we look at tonight's game... And, you know, this is the 18th time that they've allowed five goals or more. 18 times this year, which if you start thinking about that, that's quite <laughs> quite crazy, right? Going Their goals against since November 29th heading into this game was 4.12. Only behind the Montre- Montreal Canadiens in that regard. And that's not a good thing. The lowest save percentage. So, yes, you know, good teams have a way of finding and leaning on that system, their identity. And the Canucks... Over the last little bit here, and, and this goes back to what Rutherford and Alvin said at the end of last year, where we were asked about what their team's identity was, and it came down to, hey, we've we've got a really good goalie. This is, and Bruce Boudreaux talked about that. And you know, looking ahead now and what's gone on this year, systematically, there, you know, there's not, they can't lean on that. They can't necessarily lean on good defensive play, and they can't lean on a really really good goalie right now. So when we start looking at some of those goals against figures, uh, it's not a shock that that. They're getting lit up in that regard. You know, five goals against tonight against the Pittsburgh team that I should mention. They had some good moments here, but against Arizona, you expect them to win. Prior to that, guys, they'd lost six of the last seven, right? Like, this was supposed to be the easier stretch of the road trip. And, yes, they had moments tonight, but now it's about to get real. When you're playing Florida, Tampa, Carolina, who's one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the NHL, you got to ramp up your you know, your intensity, and you can't have those lulls of 20 minutes where you're not really checked into the game or you're relying on your goalie against the good teams. And, guys, we've seen this in the past in the Southeast trip where Florida, Tampa, and Carolina, their shots are not hitting the center of the net. They pick corners. They're amongst the best of the best of making sure that every mistake is in the back of your net. So this was a bit of a warm-up. So they better ramp up the the effort and the intensity. I don't know if they have a system to lean on because we haven't seen it really halfway through the year. But they're going to have to, you know, improve that effort heading into some of those those games that are coming up because those teams shoot to kill. 
Uh, just looking on the flip side, because we got to end on a make here, Randy. Uh, we got we got what's to. the redeeming thing you're pulling out of this? Uh, D-Men gets six points. Connor Garland gets on the scoreboard. Brock Besser gets on the scoreboard. What? Uh, Brock Besser's showing some wheels, too, man. <laughs> he did. What's Defensive the redeeming commitment. thing you're pulling out of this game? Yeah, I think, you know, the points from D are, are big, right? You start looking at Luke Shen, a couple assists tonight. Uh, Quinn Hughes, I know in certain moments he didn't have the greatest of games, but still another two points. So, I want to see more goals from defensemen, and heading into this game, they only had eight on the season, which was the fewest in the NHL. A couple of goals tonight, now they're up to 10. That's improving. So I think if you're taking a, a good thing out of this game is that you're getting more offense from defensemen. They're already up there in terms of assists from defensemen on the season. They're amongst the league leaders in the top 10 there. But they needed more goals. They get one from Dermott. They get one from Hughes. So I look at that and say, all right, at least defensively, when they're in their offensive zone, you're getting shots on net. You're getting activating the defense and leaning in there a little bit. Randy, great stuff calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor, And we'll see what this Vancouver Canucks team has in store for us coming up on Thursday against, yeah, uh, the team that's been the three straight Stanley Cup finals and won two of them, the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right. On to Tampa. <laughs> on to Keep Tampa. it positive, boys. <laughs> Keep it positive. All right. Well, as far as the positive, and it all comes down to your outlook and how you view things, and that's kind of what our friend Vikingstad is getting at. Says, whatever, <laughs> whatever. All I care about is San Jose and Arizona going to OT. Hashtag tank from Vikingstad. And, yeah. I, I'm laughing at it because... What, about an hour ago? Yeah. You and I were discussing, <laughs> hey, like, postgame will end around 8.30. San Jose, Arizona starts at 6 o'clock. If that game's close, on the postgame show, do we uh, dip into that game to listen for a couple of minutes here? Potentially. So, we'll again, keep you abreast. The people might want it, Sat. And, and we were debating, it was like, is that something that people want or not? Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we're doing out-of-town scoreboard watch uh in early January, but it's not for the playoff line. It's it's the competing teams. Yeah, and, you know, can the Canucks finish in the bottom five, which would give you a solid chance at getting the t- top overall pick? Not the best chance in terms of being bottom three or four, but, hey, you give yourself a good chance if you're sure. in the bottom five. If we do want to look at the out-of-town scoreboard as far as uh, the lottery uh, odds here, uh, good stuff because uh, the Red Wings won, so they pull away from Vancouver yes. a little bit. Uh, the Sabres don't win tonight, so they're a little bit further removed. They're at 42 points, and their points percentage is much better, but uh, they lost to the Kraken in regulation. Uh, obviously, Columbus is too far gone. Uh, and yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, you know. St. Louis right now down 3 to 1 to Calgary. So the Canucks currently have. I guess s- we're doing this on the uh, post game show now. I suppose. Live so. updates. And we're 40 games into the season, and we're looking at where the Canucks are. They're closer to the bottom five, much closer to the bottom. F- Actually, they're closer to the bottom three than they are a playoff spot. So that kind of tells you uh, where they find themselves. Oh, the next closest Western team in, in the playoff race, I think, is St. Louis, is it not? Yeah. And they're six points back? Yeah. Yeah, the six points back with the game in hand on St. Louis. Yeah, it's by the way, and that's not the playoff spot. That's the next closest team. Yes, no, I mean if, if you're it's, looking at it's a to, to, to get to Nashville, uh, you are seven points back in Nashville, uh, but Nashville has a game in hand on you. Yeah. So it's like that conversation. We're gonna put a pin in it. It's not done. They can always go on a run, and we'll yeah, re, no, we'll reinvite it then. Sure, but we're gonna put a pin in it right now and. Not have those conversations yeah. as frequently. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably it's it's just a reality a reality where the Canucks find themselves. It's more appealing looking at do they find do they finish in the bottom five than any useless or futile move up the standings at uh, standings at this stage. But it's really 
not good hockey. I mean, Dan from Van texted in and said, dippity doo hockey, stop playing video game hockey. That's mm-hmm. essentially what it is. I know Marcus and Gibson's mentions that too. I mean, they're playing chell hockey essentially at this point with how they're going out there and trading chances, trying to score goals and get their points, but they're not really good trying. Shout. Good shout. Yeah, but they're, they're not really trying to win necessarily, or at least they're not playing to that. I mean, I don't want to sit here and question their, their real desire to win, but their true desire to play winning hockey I wonder about because well, winning talk- hockey. This is this isn't winning hockey. This, this is not winning habits. Even if you were one goal back of the Penguins at the end of it, we've talked constantly, right? How much sacrifice is there? And it's not just about block shots and hits and say, oh, like the gritty areas of the ice that they were managed to fill the stat sheet. It's just in general, like, are you willing to take a hit to move the puck along? Yeah, those types of plays across the ice. Like everything just looks difficult for for them on the ice. These are professional players. They know how to do a lot of these things. Whether it's low on confidence, whether they just don't want to do it, whatever it is. Like that first five-minute sequence Mm -hmm. to start the game prior to uh, Connor Garland scoring. It was was like turnover central. They couldn't get the puck out of the zone. There was a a two-and-a-half-minute sequence where just one four-checker pressing two D-men, and any time a forward would take the puck – the puck was coming back into the zone every single time. And it took solid 90 seconds to two minutes to get the puck functionally out of the zone where you weren't just flipping it out and the puck was coming right back in. But even the high flip, they tried one high flip in that sequence that got to the blue line. And it came and and right the, back and again. The puck they didn't came get right far. Back even in. the no. high flip didn't get, get to the red line even. And, and that's the sort of stuff you look at and say, like, who's skating hard to create some puck support? The depth, where you are on the boards. Are you too close to the... D-man, are you too close to the blue line? It's not, it's not just functional play. And, you know, that's I, – I know we always go back to structure, and that's yeah. something they echoed. It's not just about the D-man moving the puck. It's how the forwards support this. And everything just looks like it's – hey, it's off my stick. It's now it's your problem. And then the problem gets to that guy, and it's like, well, I can't do anything with well, it. It's so pass- I'm just going to skate it back to the zone. It's passing off the problem. Yeah. You know, that that's what it is more than anything else. There's not any real functional play. There's no exits or any – options these guys have half the time you you see them get spinning around in their own zone and, and that happens way too often andrew and poco texted in and said another disappointing game i, I very re- rarely hear you guys discuss player plus minus can you please comment on miller besser both being minus 14 oel minus 12 it seems to me that that would be better off benching players with such p- poor plus minus stats that's andrew and poco i feel like we we, we talked about yeah. the dashes quite a bit and that there are a few players that are plus players on this team luke shen dashed three tonight yeah <laughs> and quinn hughes dashed Three. Yeah, and Quinn Hughes was had a. Or no, sorry, game. plus three, plus three, plus, plus three, three, plus yeah, three. Yeah, uh, but yes, maybe playing. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess oh, Hughes and 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 Bear were all right tonight. Then to some degree, so you don't want to mess that. We mess with that, I suppose. But defensively, you see it. And Brock Besser made a great play, and Jesse, as far as a joke for 60, uh, Jesse uh, Besser showed enough speed that maybe somebody claims him off waivers if they put him on waivers. So that's kind Good of the wheels vibe. on that. That's the vibe uh, on the text box. But to Andrew's point, are they going to set sit those players? They almost sit sat Besser and ended up getting into the game because Dakota Joshua had the uh, miraculous injury. Mm-hmm. I suppose you can claim. I never see Miller get benched. I don't think that's going to happen. OEL's play has been bad, like really bad. And tonight... There was a high shot. I guess you can justify trying to get out of the way. You don't want to get hit in the face. Or like I, I can understand protecting your face. Yes, that I totally understand. Close range, I get that. It's the getting out, getting out of the way. And it's not the first time he's done that. That's the thing. You know, 
So I don't know if sitting him is an option, but his game has deteriorated. Like it, it's, it has gotten worse as the season's gone on. And and that's why I've, like we've functionally had these discussions about buyouts. And I know it's very difficult given the cost of it. But at some point, you have to back your manager and say, like, hey, I can't craft this the way I want when there's an anchor that predated me. And yeah, we can try to do something drastic and find a way to move off of it. But the, the, the cost of that is so insane that you can't even realistically take into account. You're talking like three first round picks at minimum oh, it's to just try to move of, off the deal. Yeah. And that's just not real. So I look at that and say, like, do you want to support your manager and say, I understand it's a lot of money, but you're not going to get a chance to be able to craft this the way you want. If there's $7.26 million on your cap, let's just do this and it'll be a smaller cap hit for a couple of years, $4 million for two years in the middle, but at least this gives you an opportunity to do it. And it's $19 million. It's more than any other buyout. Uh, Suter and Prize totaled $13 million, but that team flipped the script, right? Like yeah. they, they flipped the dressing room over to Kaprizov and they're going to the playoffs that, and, they, and have been consistently. They have. Now, there are other things that have to go into it that you have to do to turn it around the way Minnesota did. But to your point, how much of a will do you have to get rid of that contract? And that might be one of your options. And Paul texts in and says, uh, we're talking about tanking now. Is, is this, we're hoping to tank? This is so bizarre, unbelievable. And Gavin from White Rock, come on, we need Connor Bedard. Just got to take some more L's. So it just kind of shows you where the fan base is at. And I've seen a lot of people text in and said, hey, I, I've always been on trying to make the playoffs and seeing winning hockey, but I'm done. Like I, I'm done watching this team do what they're doing and giving us false hope. And where is the payoff for it? May as well get that high drafting and start making trades. The trades aspect of it, we talked about so much. We'll see ultimately when those start happening. But, you know, what's best for this organization right now? It is to try to get the best draft pick possible. And I'm not suggesting players go out there and try to lose the game. But with the way they're playing, I mean, it's just naturally occurring. You know, and you wonder organizationally, are they going to stop this from happening? I wonder what management thinks of the way they're playing. Bick, it's getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with it in terms of getting the high pick and everything, but if you're watching it from management's perspective, if you're evaluating the job Boudreaux's doing and what's happening here, based on merit, something's going to have to give soon. It seems like. like. Traditionally, you see something give when things go the way they're going like this. They've had so many like come-to-Jesus moments and so many player-only meetings and riot acts being read and Boudreaux questioning their professionalism and their desire to win and everything. And despite all that, they play like this. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And their process is worse than it was last season. It's It creates a bunch of questions about what may be happening next year. I asked that question to Yannick as well today. Uh, you can go listen to it on the podcast, The People Show, uh, wherever you have your podcast. And he just kind of said, like, why replace them? Yeah. Why? It's You're kind of getting what you want in, in a scenario here of leaning towards the draft pick. That's what this needs to happen. And the bigger point Yannick was making is like when you make the change to the next coach, you've got to involve the coach in, in the roster construction yeah. process. If you want to build a program that says, hey, this new coach is going to play the way we want to, then you need to find players that also play that way. And yeah. that's why I kind of go back to backing your GM and your, your front office staff and saying, there's things that we just cannot do because the previous regime left us with certain things. Yeah. We, we've tried to move out some money. It's going to take a little bit longer. And some of this stuff you can honestly move. Like we've talked about Tyler Myers, talked about Tanner Pearson, Brock Besser, Connor Garland. At some point, 
those contracts whittle down to such a stage that you're going to be able to do it. Right now, very tough reality. Yeah, it's more about next season for at least Pearson and Myers. But can you accelerate some other versions of it? And you, you've got to be able to support them in any way that this team wants to, or at least this group wants to build their team, and then in, including the coach into that process. Because clearly, like you use Bruce to recruit Kuzmenko, obviously, this year. But is there a lot of uh, two-way uh, conversation of how to build this this roster out between right. management and the coaching staff? And you, you'd probably say no. No, I don't. I don't know if there's a lot of alignment there between management and the coaching staff as far, at least with the head coach. In terms at of least based on what see. we saw last season. You no, know, we haven't seen it. Uh, Paul from Sunshine Coast, a new coach would light, light a fire under OEL. He will recover with new coaches. And uh, we'll see what happens. This one unsigned says, I don't see Bruce having a job at the end of this road trip. Very unfortunate because it's not his fault. All right. Uh, we are going to get to more of your text messages, and we are going to get to head coach Bruce Boudreau. But before we do that, let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And uh, we've had a few Pauls on the text inbox. We have another one on the phone board. Boards is Paul in Coquitlam. Paul, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Hey, guys. Um all right, so uh, tonight I'm going to refrain from ranting about the Canucks because, honestly, what more is there to say at this point? Um, instead, though, I want to rant about the stupidity of the NHL draft system, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about this year, but just sort of generally. So, um, you know, his, as you know, historically, the reason they gave the number one draft pick to the team with the worst record was to try to create like a bit of parody to the league. So a team like the Montreal Canadiens didn't keep stacking their team with the best players. Um, these days, though, the league doesn't need to do that anymore. The salary cap is the great equalizer. Um, teams can't stack their lineups anymore because they can't afford too many superstars. Um, so the problem with keeping the system as it is is that nowadays, like a third of the teams in the league have a big portion of their fan bases who are actively rooting for their teams to lose, which is absolutely pathetic. You know, no fan should ever be rooting for their team to lose, but it's understandable, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. what the league is incenting people to do. Um, you know, so this is my idea. And, uh, and I think it's a pretty good one. Um, give the number one draft pick or, I guess the highest chance of getting like the number one draft pick to the team with the best record that missed the playoffs that way towards the end of the season, even if your team is likely going to miss the playoffs, like the Canucks this year, you're still cheering for them to win because they might actually get a better draft pick if they do. And then we can like get rid of this stupid tank for Bedard loser mentality. Like I got to say, guys, I am sick and tired of hearing all season it's like oh if we lose mm-hmm. we might get a better draft pick you know it, i mean it's, it's pathetic it's like every season we're doing this so anyway that's that's my idea what do you think about that hey paul thanks for the phone call and in generally i don't disagree with the notion because i'm i'm on board with let's not overly incentivize teams that are bad mm-hmm. you know i think there should be there should be more respectability there should, there should be more credit 
going to teams that are trying to win, generally speaking. Like they should be incentivizing losing to this degree. I agree. I mean, hey, my thoughts are be like European leagues in uh, in soccer, where it's like, hey, it's almost a free for all. You know, yeah, yeah. If you're but, able to survive, you're able to survive. Now, Otherwise, but but this is a tougher reality because because relegation, all that. It's yes. like if you're bad, there's penalties of being there bad, is, yeah. not benefits here you get benefits and it all it it all comes down to what paul mentioned it's all about creating as much parity as possible to not allow teams to get stuck in the wilderness for too long because that does hurt the overall league value so the best thing for the national hockey league is to give bad teams the best chance they can to turn things around because if every team has hope within every year you can sell the team and people will be more more bought in so it's never going to change but i'm with paul i think you need to de-incentivize losing to this degree. That it shouldn't be like, man, I hope this team finishes bottom five this season because that's what we need to do to get a high draft pick. Because it's competition. People want to see people compete. You're devaluing competition. Yeah, which is what this all is. And to minimize that is harsh. And I, I don't know if I would go to the extreme of just giving it to the team that just misses the playoff, but maybe give them the best odds. I'm yeah. here for that. Uh, having yeah. said all that, uh, on the out-of-town scoreboard, uh, St. Louis has now taken the lead versus mm-hmm. Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so good news in that regard if you want St. Louis to pull away from Vancouver. No, for sure. Uh, this person texted in and said, it's just a strategy, Paul. We don't need to call this pathetic. I don't think he means it as people are pathetic. I think the fact that this is a reality is pathetic. It's pathetic that we have to sit here and sure. and even he himself said like I guess the best thing is for them to lose this year like even he's you know looking at it and saying yeah the reality is they probably should be losing because that's what's best for us but it's pathetic that we're here you don't have to feel good about it and I've seen a lot of people say this recently they're like I hate the whole tank mentality but I feel sick about it but the best thing for this team right now is to get that high draft pick. I I hate tanking like I've I've talked about this openly on the air now I can sit here and process a loss yeah and sit and say like hey okay look they have to play better. But they lose tonight, For and sure. and there's va- there's value in the loss because they continue to go down this road. And we've talked about it, what's the term I've used? Losing naturally. Yeah, and they're right? losing naturally they, right they, now. They're losing naturally. Yes. Which has gotten them the seventh best lottery odds, and we'll see how that continues the rest of the way. I'm okay with losing naturally, but it goes with the idea of, like, are you competing to do it? And then how do we p- correctly analyze what we're seeing night in, night out on the ice and the team itself, like, isn't giving you an honest effort consistently. And, and that's the frustrating bit, too. Well, it is. And, you know, echoing what you just mentioned, this is not happening naturally. Uh, this one says, we don't care, bud. The rules are what they are. We're not asking the team to lose. They're doing it themselves. And, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, to Paul's point, last year, I remember people talking about, oh, it's better to tank. It's like, well, that's not realistic. They're playing well as a team. They're not going to tank. I mean, what do you want them to do? They're, they're trying to make the playoffs. They're actually close. They're in the hunt. Quit the tanking talk. It's it's unrealistic. They're not playing well. This the reason I'm sitting here saying yeah, the bottom five is within reach. Is they're playing like a bottom five team, Bic. They're performing like a team that should belong with good lottery odds, and it's naturally happening. You know, it's not like people are sitting here and hoping for something to happen against the odds. They're just encouraging something that's naturally happening in a disappointing season where even fans who came into it saying, I wish to make the playoffs are so disenfranchised and disappointed what they're seeing that they're saying, screw it. At least get the high draft pick. You guys are losing anyways. May as well keep losing. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality of this, of how this season is going. And we'll get to more of your text messages and more of your phone calls. And we will hear from... Bruce Boudreaux, but Bick, what just, else you got? Just really quickly, uh, that St. Louis goal was disallowed. Oh, so, uh, no. Thank you for the update in the Texan box. Uh, <laughs> so it's 3-3, uh, St. Louis, Calgary. All right, well, we'll have some fun with that as well. We'll keep you abreast on that situation, and we'll get to more of your reaction, and we'll keep hearing from Vancouver Canucks post game right here on the Home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Turns it over to Kenny Malkin at his own line. Here's Malkin. Drops right circle. Berserker to the net. In front for Malkin. He scores. Poor puck management comes back to bite the Canucks again as Evgeny Malkin scores his second of the night. And the Penguins lead for the first time tonight as well. It's 4-3. Penguins go on to win 5-4 over the Vancouver Canucks. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And unfortunately this season, we're spending too much time talking about Canucks losses. But... That's a reality we are faced with. The Canucks, they have won 11 games in regulation this season. And if you wonder, where does that rank in the National Hockey League? Because we talk about how the NHL has a three-point system. So a lot of empty points are handed out every year. So right now, if you look across the National Hockey League, there are five other teams who have fewer regulation wins than the Vancouver Canucks. They have the sixth fewest regulation wins in the National Hockey League with 11. So when we're sitting here and talking about where the Canucks find themselves in the standings and how they have a shot in the lottery, it is completely of their own doing. Because if the point system was any different, the Canucks would actually be worse in the standings than it is right now. If all you got was a win in regulation or just straight up points for wins. 11 11 regulation wins on the year. Which, by the way, uh, they have blown 10 multi-goal leads coming into tonight. So they now have 11 multi-goal blown leads, eight of which have turned into losses. So they they have the same amount of multi-goal blown leads as regulation wins this year. Yes. Unreal. Unreal. Stunning. It is stunning. Bob and Victoria, I couldn't stand tanking. It would be worse than what we already have. It wouldn't be worse than uh, what we already have. Paul and Sunshine Coast. I tried the NHL simulator on the second try. Vancouver won the first pick. Wow, Paul. There you go. See, that's the good vibes we need here on the post-game show. Uh, Pardeep texts in and says, Fellas, appreciate every post-game show. OEL has to be a buyout candidate. He spent more time flailing around on his stomach and on and, and his back than he did on his skates. Absol- absolutely shambolic. Great use of the word shambolic, by the way. We talked about his play earlier, Bick. You mentioned the buyout candidacy and whether the organization looks at that or not. But the reality is his play has been a massive drag. And I defended his play a lot last year. And we talked about how we did play at a top four level. The the degree that his game has fallen is more jarring than what we've seen from Tyler Myers. And I know he's taken a lot of flack recently. It's it's not up to any sort of standard. And look, it's going to be difficult for him anyways to, to live up to $7.26 million. But can you look at it and say, hey, can you give us low-end, second-pairing, fringe, third-pairing production, right? It's not a high bar. For That's a, guy a low bar. For a guy million. you expect to play or is getting paid top-pairing minutes yes. or top-pairing money, just do the baseline and allow us to play you in the second-pairing. Last year, he did that. Was nowhere near living up to the, the the contract. Understandable, but there were large stretches where it's like, okay, this is good defense. The him and Myers were playing matchup minutes, mm-hmm. passable, and then when in stretches when he would go on the power play, you see, okay, like he can put up points. 
honestly, like defensively, him moving backwards, it's an adventure every single time. Well, it is. Doesn't defend two on ones very well positionally. Puck management decisions, getting out of the way of shots. I mean, go through the list of things you can you can criticize his play on. Uh, Austin and Langley jokes per sixty at the beginning of the season. We wanted the Canucks to be more consistent. At least we got that. The losses have been very consistent. Uh, like, like the jokes for 60, we'll get to more of your text messages, and we are going to get get back to the phone boards. But before we do that, here is head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a tough 5-4 loss in Pittsburgh. Um, well, I didn't I didn't get the feeling that we were expecting it to. I just, uh, uh, I, you know, I mean, we got the lead, and it, anytime you get, jump out to an early lead like that, you sort of relax a little bit. And, uh, and once they caught fire... I mean, they were pretty dangerous the rest of the period. But I thought at the end of the period, okay, great. You know, I mean, they had 20 shots. We weathered the storm a little bit if it's coming out tied after the one period. And I thought if we could regroup and we would be able to uh, uh, muster up something else. Difficult to see that your power play was over for five. You guys yeah. Came up a couple of yeah, I mean, we see it and it's happening. Uh, the power play has gone really cold as of late. And, I mean, where we use the power play um, so much to win us games, you know, now they're starting to take extra chances, which is causing two-on-O's, two-on-one's against us. And we got to get back to the simplicity of, uh, I think, shooting the puck and and just crashing the net a little bit more. 30 games in, are you any closer to an answer why your team has so much confidence with the puck? So much what? Confidence with the puck seems to lose it without. No, uh... Right at this moment, I don't have an answer for that. By the way, that Spencer Barton battled. He battled. Look at the first period. He he had to make about ten ten bell saves. I mean, to keep us keep us in it, and uh, and he did. And he and he battled hard. So I mean, uh, uh, that's you know. I mean, I, I I thought he was pretty good for the most part. As you said, it's kind of human nature. You get up three nothing. You maybe ease off, but. Does it surprise you, given what this team has experienced to this point, that it would do that? Well, it's you know what it's it's not this team. I can look at any game where teams jump into a, a quick lead. In today's game, they don't usually usually keep it. I was you know hoping there was there were certain yeah. times there uh, you know when they made it three to one, and then Petey has a breakaway. If he makes it four to one, that stops their momentum, and I think it kills a little bit. And um, same thing in the. Second period is 3-3, and Bull misses a glorious chance, and they come down, and then Petey has a short end of breakaway, and then he misses, and they come down. I mean, those are those are things. I mean, uh, uh, we don't like it, but uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, to see the way uh, in the third period that we didn't quit, and we kept coming, and we, you know, almost uh, had something at the end. Harrison and Miller saw a lot of Malkin tonight. What you think about Well, I mean, Malkin got four points with the... Uh, he also gave up an awful lot of chances too. So I mean, it's uh, uh, you know sometimes it goes in for you. I mean, Petey could have very easily had four or five points himself if he had it converted today. So then it would have been him having a great game, and not everybody looking at Malkin having a great game. Talked about trying to build the guys back up after games like this. Does it does it compound? Does it get harder in time uh, the more of these games? We'll see. I mean, I, I know the guys at the end. They want to win so bad. I mean, they were all standing up on the bench, and every time the puck went at the net, they're, you know, you're yelling positive stuff and go in, go in. And, and so, I mean, 
uh, I know they're they're not giving up or nothing, but I mean it's uh, it's I'm I'm glad we have a day off uh, in between before the next game. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau after a 5-4 loss in Pittsburgh and uh, took the more positive route and uh, decided to back his guys more than anything else. That Spencer Martin kept him in the game, making a number of key saves early on for them to even have a chance to come back and said they didn't quit fighting in the third and almost uh, had the comeback and really reinforced how they sh- showed a will to win on the ice and also on the bench being encouraging. So uh, it wasn't this disappointed, sad Bruce, tonight. And Jeff will text in, dead man walking, dead man walking. Uh, he was a bit more upbeat this evening. He's trying to do the uh, the foundations. Build me up, Buttercup. Yes. He's trying to build up that team. I'm going Motown here tonight, Seth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess so. I, I Great mean, sing-along song, Build Me is, Up, Buttercup. It is. Maybe somebody should try that uh, at one of the arenas <laughs> across, across the National Hockey League. But, I mean, I, I think when you look at it, and Bruce is with the team here, obviously – still and you lost in Winnipeg heading into the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning you probably want to reinforce the positives and I think that's what Bruce's media availability tonight was about more than anything else yeah and we've talked it's like you you can't just keep cracking the whip because that more than anything will to like get the players to tune you out and Kyle Burroughs yeah had a quote with Ian that they're still playing for Bruce they're still trying for Bruce and that's why I kind of push back it's like if the players were totally checked out on Bruce, different story. Yeah. And, and then you might have to say, well, that's one thing I'm watching a decision. for. Are you, are you, how do you approach this game here tonight? Yeah. Did you play it like you didn't care or did you play it like, okay, we still have something to fight for here? And I think there's a difference between we don't care and we're just not good enough. Well, yeah. And I mean, and I, one- I, I get the sense it's more the latter consistently than it is, oh, we're just out on this coach and, we, and we're just not going to try. I agree, but at the same time, like they play certain they, they play a certain way. Somebody texted in earlier um, and said, um, I, "I just don't understand. Like they they shouldn't be be this bad. Like there are certain things they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. Like I don't understand how a team should be performing this poorly." So I agree. Maybe they're a bad team, but they are still underperforming to a severe degree. And I think that's the pretty obvious part. But at some point, again, which is why we go to the, the conversations of, like, when do you try to do something? But the big picture, like, everyone understands the big picture. And I would even argue yeah. Canucks management understands the big picture. And we can sit here and say, hey, this is unacceptable hockey. And it absolutely is. But it goes back to the, the, the caller that we got earlier. It's like, hey, it sucks to be incentivized to lose. And you can look at that and say, well, why should we change it? Because we're picking up L's and we're improving our odds for the draft lottery. That sucks, but... Such is the reality. If you change it, do you impact uh, what the long-term health of this team could be? And, yeah. and, and do you push yourself to 11th best lottery odds and, and give yourself a 3% chance instead of a 7.5% chance? I mean, hey, it's not about the odds, I think. I think it's more about if they make a change, it's these guys are so checked out and the message has gone so sour that something has to give. And are they at that point? Bruce would would say no. Burroughs would say no. The 5-4 score indicate may indicate no, but the process fraught with po- issues and holes and stuff we've been discussing but, so, all throughout is, the is, evening. Is anyone going to solve it in 41 games? No, it's not even about, no, nothing's going to be solved in 41 games. It's not even about solving no, anything. But again, I, I'm not saying for like wins, but is that enough of a time of a runway? And, and honestly, it's not going to happen in the next two weeks. So we're talking about 37 some odd games. Is there enough? Is 37 an, enough of a, a runway to say someone's going to come in and start building in the habits that are going to propel you into next season? No, it's not even about the, to me, it's like the habit stuff. 
it's about st- I think more than anything if they do it, it's about stopping the bleeding. But if if they're you're so off, if you're so divergent in your opinion of where things need to go or how you conduct your business, and things are going so off in terms of what your expectations are based on merit, do they feel like this is something they have to do? Right? Like, I mean, coming into the season, everyone said, hey, we have to make the playoffs or it's a disaster. And management has to wear that as well. But they're underachieving to a huge degree. They're losing multiple, multi-goal leads at a higher rate than we've ever seen in National Hockey League history. Like, based on merit, what we're seeing here is completely unacceptable. Something's going to have to give somewhere. Usually something gives. Can you make a trade? That's usually the case. They're not making those. So if you look at it from that aspect of it, I think it just comes down to credibility at some point within the organization. That that's how they view it. I'm with you, but yeah. like it's not about solving things at this stage. I think it's it's because things are so far gone that we just need to get it back into order to some degree. I think that w- is what it would be about more than anything else. And I'm not even sure that change would spark the team to that to that high degree. Anyways, if you bring in an interim coach who's already behind the bench with this team, mm-hmm. like we're not talking about going out and bringing in you know a Barry Trotz or anything. Like I don't think that's happening. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it, it's more about like. I would like to see a prolonged coaching search in that scenario. Then. I, like, I completely I, agree. At this stage, it's just like it's, like, it's interim move, I solid in the agree. summer. I'm completely, I'm with you. Like, I think what they should do is just wait for the offseason no matter what. But if you are making a change, wait to make your search proper in the offseason instead of hiring the guy now and stay on the interim side of things. But that's where things are as far as head coach Bruce Boudreaux's media availability postgame and how the players feel about him based on what they've been saying. We'll get to some more player audio as the show goes on, but we mentioned we would go back to the phone boards. Let's start off there again, and uh, let's go to Gibson's where Jazz has been patient to get on. Jazz, thanks for holding on to your line. Now, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, boys. So just watching that game tonight, it was nasty. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen better game structure at my YHL games at Canlon, okay? Like, it was, it, was just, it was disgusting. Like, you know that when Luke Shen is the most constant guy you have going back to get the puck, you know something wrong is there. And so it was horrible. And, you know, you guys keep talking about, like, consistency and, you know, like, getting on a roll and winning games. But it's nothing new from this group. You guys have been here. You guys know five years ago, even when Brock Bester started coming in, when Horvath was coming in, the Canucks have never once been in this era consistent. It's just not what they do. So their leadership, it's not there. I, everyone's saying about Horvath, he's such a great player. He, oh, uh, you know, like management, if they're complaining about not having enough, you know, important guys in the room, big players in the room, why would they trade Horvat? Well, because of this, a real captain, a real leader, th- this wouldn't happen. And it really sucks because then I watch games like Boston and Carolina and I watch them play even like the, the Florida um, Colorado game tonight and you watch them play and just the structure and the confidence and the professionalism that they play with is something that the Canucks have just never had. And I really hope that they can bring this over from what they had in Pittsburgh, Rutherford and Alvin because it's it's I'm I'm sick of it. Thanks, boys. Hey, uh, Jazz. Thanks for the phone call. And hey, I understand the frustration. I totally understand the frustration. The reality is, we're waiting. <laughs> we're waiting right now. You're waiting to see where the Canucks end up as far as their draft odds. You're waiting for them to make a trade and waiting for them to find their long-term bet behind the bench because it's not going to be Bruce. The only question is, do you let it run out to the end of the season before you find mm-hmm. a new one? And when do you, what trades do you make by the trade deadline? We're sitting with the waiting game. Like, yeah. that's just and, the reality and, of and it. And we've said that since early December, late November, even a couple of games ago. 
like this is the tough bit, right? Like yeah. you have you have to have the constitution to be able to survive this bit and say ideally the conclusions that you want are coming like trades and to start to see the next era of what this is. But you also have to just grit your teeth and just bear this out. We're here for you every night. Yes, we're here to talk you through it. This is a group therapy session. <laughs> it's it's turning into that. Yeah, and listen, uh, as the season goes on, depending on what happens, uh, this person texted in. So, still with some faint hopes about a playoff push. 30-10-2 to finish the season should get us into the playoffs, right? If we trade next year's first for a solid D rental, that could happen, right? I don't think that that's uh, something that's going to uh, be, be happening. But uh, 30, 10, and 2 would put you, what, 98 points, 99 points? Yeah, 99 yeah, points would probably get you in. Yeah, that would get you in. Yeah, but uh, don't don't think that's happening. That's a, a, a ridiculous stretch. Yeah, uh, Brandon and Poco, jokes per 60. Why do you guys always show up when the Canucks don't? <laughs> hey, man, we got to play it out for another hour. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this person says, sad. By the way, just a quick update. St. Louis is uh, going into overtime, so they, they got are, a point. Okay, well, they got a point. Good good stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, this one says, sad. Again, Boudreaux is trying to make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, uh, with this team. He hasn't gotten the horses on defense. I mean, I don't disagree, but Boudreaux's doing far worse than how this team performed last season. They're three games under five hundred. Mm-hmm. Last year, they, they got to 92. How many points? 92 points? That sounds right. 92 points of the season. They're on pace for, right now, 75 points. 74 and a half. Uh, after tonight, yeah, it's about that. 74 and a half points. So they're performing at an 18... 75.9. Yeah. They're 18 points worse on pace than they were last season, and they actually improved the roster in the offseason. And I know the defense is flawed. I, I don't disagree. The team's not good enough to be a real contender and, and all that. But they're still underperforming from where this team should be at. All you can really judge is, what are you getting out of the roster that you have? That's how I judge a coach, right? And it's true that Boudreaux doesn't have a lot to work with, but it's also true that Boudreaux's not getting the most out of what he has this season. That's just a a fact of the matter. Now, if you want to mitigate that by saying, hey, it's because he's a lame duck coach, it's because these players don't care, it's because this and that or management not showing any faith in him, Valid reasons for mm-hmm. you to defend Bruce Boudreau, but the fact remains, you can't say, oh, this roster's not good enough. This should be where they're at. No, no, like they are severely underperforming where they should be at. Now, in the big picture, that might be a good thing with, again, we talk about the draft lottery odds, but they are underperforming the level that they should be hitting at as a, as a baseline, just in terms of evaluation. And then we've talked, it's like, what parts of the roster are they committed to? Is this version, is this regime committed to this version of the roster? You, you recruit Kuzmenko, obviously that's yours. You bring in uh, Mikheyev, obviously that's yours. You double down on uh, JT Miller, that's yours. But by and large, what are we talking about? Untouchables stat? Three guys. And even then, for some people, it's it's less than three. Two, yeah. It's two, maybe even just Elias Pettersson. So for me, like job one has always been removing some of the inefficient money. Yeah. And it started with Travis Hammond, and they, they have to do more of it. Oh, 100%. Undisputable, they have to do more of it. Jim Rutherford's talked about it. Hey, it's been tougher than we realized. Flat cap plays a role in this. And, you know, I, I made the reference going back to mid-October stat of this is like Saw and you're in the room and the bad contracts or the clock, do you want to saw your foot off and, and attach assets to get out of some bad contracts? Because you can do that, but don't tell me that's a rebuild because it's not. That's, that's trying to... 
turn things around. Yeah, that, that that's I don't want to say rebuild on the fly, but that's accelerating uh, the process here. And like this is what waiting this out looks like. They've chosen the the quote unquote patient approach. It might look like inaction, but like this is what you have to do. You just have to bear it out, be willing to withstand all of this, and say, hey, every day that goes by, we're one step closer to the finish line of the Tyler Myers contract expending uh, expiring, the Tanner Pearson contract expiring contract expiring and it's going to give us the opportunity to start building this out the way you want now are there levers you can pull like i've talked about the oel one that opens up seven million dollars next season do you try to bring in a contract and and yeah try to play it that way like that's something you can do whether it's a a first round pick with a six million dollar contract a three million dollar contract for a second round pick like these are the things that they have to explore if they want to accelerate it i i don't want to go down the path of Hey, let's do more trades like the Jason Dickinson trade. Now, that one was a short-term measure because he had to get another cap this year. They're not necessarily in that same problem next year. But you start doing more of those just to get – because you're tired of watching it. I, I would rather have the the courage to bear this out than the fear of watching this again. Yeah, and I think they ha- – I mean, hey, I'm with you, but you have to make – you have to do the actions here. Mm-hmm. The actions have to happen. And but that doesn't mean they have to happen tomorrow. No, no, but my point is they have to happen. Yes. You know, I, I, I'm here with you. Like They don't have to happen today. They have to happen by the deadline. But we're sitting here and saying the patient approach is the right approach as long as you're, you're hit when the time comes. And they have to make sure they hit when the time comes. And that's a big part of it. St. Louis. OTW. There we go. Massive. So they uh, pull away from Vancouver here a little bit. Yeah, uh, they have. All right. Now let's take one more phone <laughs> call uh, before we go to break and get back to more of your reaction. Now we get more player reaction post game here. And and let's go to White Rock where our friend Gavin is on the line. Gavin, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to just uh, briefly touch upon the whole uh, tanking thing. I know that conversation already finished, but I'm just going to bring it back real quick. I have two things to say. First thing is an idea for uh, taking. Everyone has ideas, but I don't know how well this would work. Every Everyone has flaws uh, in their draft uh, draft lottery ideas. Mm-hmm. But I think instead of taking the team that does uh, really badly for that season, if you take the team that did the worst over the course of maybe like three seasons or the past five seasons and you just apply that to the draft lottery for that season, I think that might be a better way because no one's going to want to tank for three seasons in a row, four seasons in a row. So that way, naturally, whoever actually just sucks consistently year by year uh, has the best odds of winning the lottery. I'm sure there's flaws in that as well, but I just thought of that one. And then the second thing is in a hypothetical scenario where we do get Connor Bedard, what happens? Are we good? Cause if you look at Edmonton, they have Connor McDavid and um, I don't think anyone's jumping the gun to say that they're particularly a contender or a really good team. Edmonton still sucks. So like if we get Connor Bedard, I'd be happy, but what happens then? What What do you guys think happens? Like, so I'll throw that scenario at you, but yeah, that's all. Hey, Gavin, uh, thanks for the phone call. I mean, hey, he's right. It's only one piece of the equation, and one massive piece of the equation that would help expedite things if you are holding on to Pedersen and Hughes, like they obviously are going to do, and hold on to some, some to some other key players here. It means that Connor Bedard next season is making an impact for you on an entry level contract, and your thoughts of trying to turn this around in a couple of years. Now, let's say, and Miller's not going anywhere, despite what everybody's saying, at least not now. So if you go into next season, you, you win the lottery, and you bring Mikheyev back, which is who's on a contract, you sign Kuzmenko, you trade Bo, but you have Miller, you have Patterson, you have Connor Bedard. That's a pretty good top six. Let me put it to you this way. When we're talking about like deconstructing this roster right now, these are bad problems to solve. Yes. Okay? So it's a fair question to be like, hey, even if you win Connor Bedard, like, what should the expectations be? You know what? That's a good problem to solve. Let l- living in that reality is a fantastic problem to solve. And come to that stage and try to solve it then. 
But man, I'm excited about solving that problem. So like, how good are this team now with Pedersen and Bedard down the middle, and you have JT Miller who can be very productive and all that sort of stuff. Solving those problems are exciting. Yes. Analyzing that is exciting, and that's that little spark that people want to inject where the next era is. And to be honest, like a few years ago, Sat, we would have conversations, be like, okay, where does Brock fit in this team right now? Yeah. And Brock with PD, like there was excitement four or five years ago because like that's what hope and future looks like. That to me more than anything is is a caller that mirrors the emotions of a lot of fans right now that they want that next phase. If, if you're not selling winning, again, the, the phrase, you have to sell one of two things, hope or winning. And and the transactions are going to speak towards hope, and they just they just haven't seen it that, that yet. And no, but I mean, even even the hope of young prospects before young players hasn't quite also. It, it goes. It's more sure. than just the hope of the players, and I think I think that's also the other point. Is it there more has to happen from management and in terms of how you build the team of and course. you manage a team than just hitting the lottery? Because the Canucks they found Pedersen, they found Hughes. To your point, Bester, they found a lot of guys, and what did they do with it? They squandered it. But for a lot of people, it's like. Okay, I don't need to keep watching the same movie. Yeah. And and that's where I think a lot of people are. Like, refresh the cast. Yes. Switch out Aunt Viv. Actually, no, don't. Yeah. <laughs> the, the original Aunt Viv is the goat. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, and, and, and to uh, Gavin's earlier point of uh, that tanking structure or that, or that draft lottery structure, I kind of like that. I just don't know when you start that. That's going to be the thing to – because one team is going to be more incentivized than, or has higher odds when you begin that. You just might be entrenched in the way you do with things. I don't necessarily uh, like that philosophy, but like no matter when you start it, one team's going to say, well, Arizona was better this year, but they've tanked for the last two years, and so what, they get good odds? And Chicago's going to sit there and say, well, we're the ones being screwed in this spot. Yeah, it's, I get it, but at the same time, it's... You yeah. would hope 32 owners and, and GMs and governors do the thing that's best for the sport, but... Uh, tough reality yeah it's a pretty rough one all right we'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox more of your phone calls as the postgame show goes on canucks lose 5-4 in pittsburgh against the penguins here on sportsnet 650 and the sportsnet radio network um you know that came out hard i thought we had a good response after the first few shifts and got you know three goals and um you know they kept pressing and got some back and um you know after the first period 0-0 in a way you know 0-0 yeah. game on the road um and then, you know, a lot of penalties and power plays, and, you know, they scored on the power play. We didn't get a power play goal, so, you know, there's a couple little things that make a difference in the game. Is it, you know, in the end, it's a detailed story for you guys right now? You talked a lot about that this year, but is it just a couple bounces, a couple yeah, I think it's, bad decisions? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, they're pushing, and, um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, bearing, grinding down and bearing down and getting the puck out, I think. Um, you know, it's a couple of those plays, but... Um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, we want to win. Uh, came up short, but um, we got to keep pushing. We got to keep working hard and get this in, get, get this going in the right direction. There's something about the power play that you said you try differently. Something different. You guys have been sort of haven't been as consistent on the power play lately as you were earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we all know that, and. You know, I think when you might you think about it, I think you might look for the perfect play a little too much when, you know, you know it's not going too well. But um, you know, I think we just need to start shooting it and getting lots of shots and bodies to the net. And I think that's that will kind of turn the ship in the right direction. You've had a quick six, seven points up since you came back from the floor. How are you feeling that your game got another goal tonight? Right in front. Yeah, um, you know, I'm feeling well and. Um, 
you know, I got to keep working. I got to keep pushing uh, to, to play good hockey for our team and keep producing for our team. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of all that matters. I think uh, you know, me, Bo, and Mickey have some good chemistry going, and we got to keep that up for our team and um, keep scoring for our team and keep pucks out where not. Obviously, challenging for you mentally, going through what you've been through, but for the team, does it does it get to be tiring, kind of exhausting mentally? To all these games where you know there's such roller coasters and you're not getting results. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think we went through it a lot at the beginning of the year, and I think it's been a lot better. And you know, obviously, uh, it happened again tonight. And um, you know, I I think I did like our pushback there in the third. Um, you know, down by two still on the road, and I, I thought we didn't give up. I thought we didn't fold like other times in the past, and um, I, I thought we pushed pretty hard, and fortunately we didn't get one. And, um, you know, like I said to him, um, you know, we didn't score any goals on the power play, and they scored a couple, so I think that's the difference in the game. Do you feel for, for Spencer? You know, he gives up three in the first, but he makes about five yeah. star saves at the same time. Yeah, they were, they were pushing hard in the first, and, you know, we expected that, and, um, you know, I thought we did well in scoring three goals, and um, but you know if you if you let up on the gas just a little bit, it shows you with a team like that what they're going to do, and you know they showed us. So I think we need to learn from that. Back to more Canucks Central post game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Gensel to the line for Ty Smith, left circle, Malkin, heavy slap shot, stopped by Martin, rebound in front for Raquel, he scores on the side of the net. Martin didn't know where it was and Raquel had nothing to do but tuck it into the yawning cage. And the Penguins go up 5-3. Penguins win 5-4 on home ice over the Vancouver Canucks and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox. 650-650. We are going to get back to the phone boards coming up in just a moment's time as well. Yevgeny Malkin tonight, Bick. Four-point performance. And when we talk about one of the best players in the National Hockey League and its history, we haven't seen Yevgeny Malkin at his best so far this season. Tonight was a real flash of that and almost as if he hit the midway point of the season and said, hey, it's, it's about time for me in my 36-year-age season to turn things up. And when he did, he was the best player on the ice. He's fantastic, man. He's amazing. He's, he's just one of the most fun watches, right? Like, there's there's great players all across this league. But there is a certain bully ball mentality sometimes to Evgeny Malkin where he just barges through shoulder contact. And it's like, yeah, no, don't worry. I'll find my space. And there's a there's still even a gracefulness to his game that he just kind of slides across the ice and can absolutely uncork uh, one timer like we saw earlier today that Spencer Martin kind of has to fight as it goes in. That's what special looks like, and that's what you're chasing if you're the Vancouver Canucks and if you're Canucks fans, you, you're you're chasing greatness right now. And and there's a lot of fine players on this team. There's not a lot of great players on this team. And you need multiple great players to get to success, a successful run in a, success, a successful era. And that's why we have these conversations of what's the next era going to look like and draft pick status, all of that. Yeah. Because you you need great players. Well, and, and, and that's not to take any away from guys who've had great careers and all that sort of stuff, but 
they're they're five hundred hockey players. That's harsh. I to, to be honest, I don't even think that's harsh. The the results are what they are. They're sub five hundred, five hundred style hockey players. Yes, they don't move the needle enough. No, they don't. Evgeny Malkin. Boy, does he move the needle, even at age 36. Well, and the only way you find those players is at the very top of the draft, unless you get incredibly or, lucky. Yeah, or, or you rely on your scouting, and but even you, that, you, you hit good picks, and you But even relying, in. relying on your scouting. There's elements of luck of finding Nikita Kucherov and Patrice Bergeron yes, in later rounds. And there is a truth that no team has won a Stanley Cup in the, in the cap era without have, having a player who was selected in the top three. You know... It's just kind of the reality. Now, hey, you can find other guys, but it's one of those things. It kind of shows you the importance of being able to get that high pick and nailing those players Mm -hmm. with that. And and we'll see where the Canucks find themselves as the season goes on. All right, uh, we'll get to more of your text messages, 650-650. This one says, Mike and Tawasin, I don't want to see a tank job, but but if they don't do everything possible to clear cap space and get picks, I'm going to be really frigging embittered. Like is that, that a word? Embittered. All right. Maybe it is. We're going with it. Uh, 650. <laughs> I will give you guys this. You guys are persistent when it comes to PD about re-signing. Again, it's not going to happen. He will, no, will not re-sign uh, to play for another three to five years on a losing team. Uh, I guess you guys will have to learn the hard way as you're uh, crying in your drinks. That's, <laughs> the, the, that's Jake. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, 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 don't think, Jake. I don't think we've said that he's going to sign for three to five years. <laughs> I, listen... Uh, I, I no, I, I'm saying he's gonna sign for seven to eight years. I would wager eight. <laughs> and again, it's just a question. Like, if if someone yeah. says no to eighty, eighty-five million dollars, then okay, like you get your answer. Um, but until you get to that stage where you put that on the table for someone, uh, like Jake, it's it's fine that you, like you don't want to leave Patterson or you, you think it's best to trade him. That's totally fine. Everyone's got their opinions. We welcome them here into the space of the postgame show. It's just you're, you're skipping steps here, and it's conjecture at that stage. Let's wait to June for or to uh, July first. That's gonna be the Canucks' first opportunity to try to extend a contract to Elise Pettersson. And you get to that stage, and I, I've said like I that should be number one on the to do list. As much as we talk about, hey, what does the team look like next season, and what improvements can you make July first? July first, the first call should be Elias Pettersson. Say, hey, can we work something out? Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. And I think what they do leading up to it is going to have to be part of their argument to keep them. What is your plan? How are you show, showing that plan? Who are the players you are keeping? Who are the players you're moving out? And when are you looking to be competitive again? Or when do you think you can be competitive again? And that's the overall package you have to approach a player like that with in order to convince him to sign that long-term contract. And we'll see if the Canucks are able to do that. Uh, well, let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650. And let's go to Langley, where our friend Jake is on the line. Jake, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Jake. All right, let's put Jake back on hold, and let's go to Eel in Victoria. Eel, uh, thanks for calling in, and what's on your mind this evening? Hello, you got me? Yeah, we, we got, got you. you. Oh, hey, great. Thanks for the call. Another great show tonight, guys. Hey, just a, uh, a, a quick comment on the game uh, before my take here. I thought, I mean, OEL and Myers were noticeably bad. I, I know you guys talked about it, but wow, really, mm-hmm. really noticeable. Uh, I thought Connor Garland, I, I know you guys haven't talked much about him. I thought he had a great game tonight. Um, and, you know, I, I thought uh, Bo Horvat looked good. And, of course, uh, uh, 
Pedersen. And, and I, my question is, I'm wondering if you guys are, are my mindset right now is I, I, I'm not even watching the Canucks to, to, for, for them to win games at this point. I'm just watching them uh, to see how many points Pedersen can rack up, Kuzmenko can rack up, uh, Quinn Hughes, how many points he can get at this point. Uh, I'm not really, I don't have any faith that they're going to win. I don't even have any faith that the Canucks, uh, no matter where they end up in the standings, are, 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 are going are gonna to draft well at this point. I, I'm kind of just in it for Pedersen at, at this point. Like, how many points? I mean, I would say the same thing about Horvat, but we all know he's, he's, he's gone. And, and so my heart's really not in you know, watching him and, and, and kind of rooting for him at this point. So I'm wondering how you guys feel is, is at this point, are, are we just hoping that, that Patterson just, just absolutely lights it up? You know what? Are there people kind of just watching that? Cause it's not even about wins anymore. Uh, hey, thanks for the phone call. That's Eel calling in from Victoria. I mean, Hey, whatever you got to watch, whatever you, have to watch to get through it essentially and feel like you're supporting your team still that's that's what it has to be but as far as what you're watching for i think it's a good point like outside of watching individual play it's hard to look at it but i still big one of the things the I fans want- are becoming a pro individual so well, just yeah. <laughs> go out and get your points but honestly what i want to see is something that i have no i've seen no evidence of happening with the current group in place and that is playing more cohesive hockey, just mm-hmm. in general. Like, I can't imagine these these are good habits for these players, even the guys you want to keep here. And I've mentioned this, like we talked about this on, on the post-game show here recently, that like Elias Pettersson's game recently has become a bit more high event. Well, it just, it's, it, it, it's, it's blending into how the team's playing. Even Ilya Mikheyev's game yeah. has also kind of gone that direction. And, and traditional, like, yeah, that play today, the, the Malkin goal, like that's such a departure from what we've seen Ilya Mikheyev Yes. Like he's been a very responsible player, efficient mover of the puck, and obviously speed down the wing. That was such a bizarre play to see. Like, if, if you told me, uh, just apologize picking on a player here, but like if you told me that was Nils Hoaglander, like we've seen that before, make a play at the offensive blue line and you get pocket picked. But like, McCabe knows better. Oh, he does. He absolutely does. And, and, and that's the alarming bit. It's like stuff like that is now bleeding into the game. And, and Elias Pettersson, you go through the last month, it's, it's become way more high event than we traditionally see because he has such an orbit about him where yes. in the defensive zone, he's like a vacuum. In the offensive zone, everything just kind of surrounds him and he's able to create for others. And he's still creating. It's just on the defensive end, it's really started to tick up and there's just more high danger chances. And, and that's something you just don't see from Pettersson in general. And, and that's why you go to the conversation of, okay, well, like, what are we watching here? Is it players' individual habits? Is it about just guys on their own racking up some points here and getting themselves their big contracts? And it's tough. And I wish I, wish I had a better answer for you. No, I, I, I genuinely wish I had better answers for you because, like, that's the part of this. Like, this is – the milk has expired in the fridge, man. And you're just like, I, we just got to throw this out. And you're finding, oh, yeah, you're looking to see where you're going to throw it out. Or that's when, it. yeah. That, like – that's where this is going. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, um, when I look at the team too, and and look for tangible measurements of okay, this is a positive. 
maybe it's even going down a little bit. Looking at a guy like Jack Studnika as the season goes on, what do we see from him mm-hmm. as his progress goes? Does he show that he can be a player for you? How does Ethan Bear continue to pro- progress? Travis Dermott, who came back from his injury, scored a goal tonight. How does he progress? What does he kind of show? But I still wonder in this overall environment, how detrimental is it? So do we see them? Even if they, It's fine if you keep losing. That's fine. But can you do certain things that stem what's going on to some degree here, especially with individual traits? Because I don't think it's going to be easy to break these bad habits next season. It's not going to be as, hey, flip a switch next year, new coach, and we're doing the right thing all the time. When you get used to doing things the way this team is doing, it kind of becomes part of your muscle memory to some degree. Like I, I I'm, I'm very concerned about that aspect of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked of, are, are there too many one dimensional players here? Like with Elias Patterson, I'm less concerned about that. I'm just talking about the last month. It's ticked up more high danger chances against, right? By and large, I have no concern over Elias Patterson. Mm-hmm. Right coaching staff, you'll see the best version of him. We've seen a very good version of him in the bubble against Vegas. He was phenomenal in, in the entire bubble experience. Earlier this season, and even now, like that's why he's going to the All-Star game. He's having a really good season. It's just a very small sample size to say, this is a little bit concerning. But at least Pedersen long-term oh, f- will be fine. For sure. For Quinn him. Hughes long-term will be fine. He's he's multi-dimensional. We've seen a good version of him. But honestly, like you go through this, there's too many one-dimensional players who at times, like Brock Besser at times has shown he can be very good defensively. Does that come at the expense of his offense? Bo Horvat's having a fantastic offensive season. But we've talked about it. It's like he's barely outscoring his problems because there are problems in the yes. defensive zone. And we and talked about are, JT's play so yeah, much. And there are stretches in Bo Horvat's career where we see like the defensive presence that he can have. When he switched on the defensive zone, he's strong. We obviously know how he can battle. He wins faceoffs. But has that come at offensive opportunities for him? Too often, there aren't players that can do things in both ends of the ice and constantly drive play. That's a term you hear all the time. Driving play is all about how you can impact the the, the game all across the ice. What's your influence on the game? But also, like, yeah, but it's, it's how you do it defensively, but also how do you ha- how do you control the game through the neutral zone? Yeah. This team doesn't do that at all right now. It's, it's so stagnant, and it's so tough to just get the puck from one spot to the other spot. And... You know, we're going to go back to that structure word. You're you're stuck in this reality that they haven't been able to build this out the way they want, and that's a tough reality. That, that until you see what the next coach is and how, like I still don't feel like I have a sense sat of how Patrick Alvine wants to see his his version of hockey play played. Yeah, and I do think Patrick. I think we're not seeing that. But I think it's I think it is pretty clear what they want to see. I, I like I have an idea of what it might look like, but as far as like game to game, period to period, what what details they want to want to emphasize, I don't really get a sense of like w- that we've seen prolonged stretches of it. But I mean, uh, because there's zero alignment with the head coach in terms of yeah. what you want to do. They question the structure. They've been on him in terms of what they want to see from it, and. That's not happening. As, as you've detailed, and you've, if you've watched the intermission panels with you and Murph, like you had that great graphic the other day of everything has regressed from last well, year. Well, you know, people are like, I, I see people texting in. They're like, "Hey guys, last year you got goaltending. You know, you can't blame the coach and everything." It's like they're giving up a far higher degree of chances now than they were last year, and some of those deeper, you know, metrics and numbers that that show how bad the chances are, are even less. A- 
complimentary to the Vancouver Canucks. Like they're playing like one of the worst, if not the worst, defensive team in the National Hockey League this season. Like that's an issue, and it's not just because they have a bad defense or the goaltender hasn't been good. A lot of it comes down to their forwards. How many how many post game shows have we? How many goals have we broken down this season, Bick, and said, yeah, you know, the defenseman didn't do something here, but what were the forwards up to? What are the forwards doing? It's more than just a defense. It's how you play as a team. And that, this entire season, has been far, far below average. There's constant gaps in the play. And, and the Winnipeg game was a great example of it the other night, where that three-on-five goal, five guys not committed to playing defense. The goal that's in front of the net, pick up a body, and it just does not happen. That's the sort of stuff that, to me, and, and Yannick was talking about earlier today, it's like... That sort of stuff, like picking up bodies, that's the stuff that's correctable. And you're engaged, playing engaged hockey, will that flip next season? And we'll talk more about that. Freddie in North Van says, we're not talking enough about the defense and goaltending. The forwards are a part of that. And yeah. that's it, that's why nobody escapes criticism. We'll talk more about it on the other side. Plus, IMAC joins us on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Canucks Central Post Game Show, bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Again to the line for Eklund Larson, shot through traffic, missed the net, big rebound for Dermott on the far side, he scores! Travis Dermott on the backhand has his first of the year to pull the Canucks back to within one, with 7.08 left in the third period. And that is as close as the Canucks got. Lose 5-4 in Pittsburgh against the Penguins, a game which, in which they had a 3-0 lead in the first. That evaporated. And they did come back to make it 5-4, as you heard. Travis Dermott getting his first of the season, but not enough as they lose 5-4 in Pittsburgh against the Penguins. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650. And keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And uh, we'll, we'll get to a lot of those text messages. And we always love the jokes per 60 and calling from Caribou. Instead of the free, free to skate, the plane flying, the banner should read, Trevor was right. That's one text message that comes in. So the jokes, they're always welcome here on the Post Game Show. What oh, sorry, you, did you go to me? What are you doing? I'm watching Sharks Coyotes over here, <laughs> yeah, man. Get out of here, man. <laughs> it's uh, 1739 left in the third. Sharks uh, just took a 3-2 lead. So it's... it's Power uh, play for the uh, Coyotes just ended. Dick, you know it's like there's still 42 games to go on the season. Yeah, but Sharks Coyotes <laughs> don't play every single day. This is a massive game here. Dick, I get it, bro, but like it's... It's game like that. Forty-two games to go on this. Season. I think you probably want a three-point game with the Sharks winning as best-case scenario. Uh, no, Coyotes winning would be better. Well, their points percentage is higher. Yeah, but the Sharks will win more as the season goes on. The Coyotes jig is going to be up soon. I don't know, man. Coyotes. Uh, they work hard, but they work gonna, hard, but eventually that's going to that's going to catch up with you. Well, they work harder than some teams. Well, yeah, they do. And you know, we actually the Canucks came back to beat the Coyotes here in Vancouver, but the Coyotes that night notably played with better structure than the Vancouver Canucks that, that evening. I mean, it's just a fact of how that team Rough played reality. versus how Vancouver played. Um, Saskatchewan Joe says, this team is too good as it is to finish bottom five. They need to take a dent on the defense offensive end, and I'm, and I'm all for a retool. It makes me sick, but they need to trade Bo now, Saskatchewan Joe. And they move Bo. I think they have a real chance at bottom five, but how many points up on the bottom five are they, Bick? Six? Uh, oh, just yeah. close the... Uh... There's six points up on the bottom five. Yep. Like It's... They're not that far back, and I, used to, I tangibly close. I used to be in the uh, of the same mind. Again, if San Jose wins uh, in overtime, more more specifically, uh, San Jose and Arizona would have uh, 
Or sorry, if Arizona wins in overtime, they both would have 33 points. Yeah. Canucks have 37. And they'd be four points up on a bottom five spot. So I just think, think the same thing Joe does. Like this season heading into it, and especially early on when we had these discussions, hey, they're not good enough to be a bottom five team. The way they're playing, that's how they're playing. You know, like it's, it's, uh, it's bewildering in many ways. Now, a player who got a goal tonight and also showcased some speed, stopping a goal from going into the empty net was Brock Besser. And before I can throw to that audio, what do you have, Vic? Again, I, I like to prioritize the jokes for 60 when okay, they come in. Right. 650, 650. Uh, Tyler, maybe the Canucks should get rebranded and name the magicians. They make leads vanish. <laughs> Hashtag jokes for 60. That's strong. The That's prestige. Strong. <laughs> Had it be the Canucks. What are they actually doing? Wait. So who's uh, Michael Caine in this scenario? Is that uh, Jim Rutherford? Jim Rutherford would be Michael Caine. Hugh uh, Jackman would be... The guy who's trying to solve it, but gets... Well, you, do you want to give it away? I mean... Oh, the movie's like 14 years old. If you haven't watched 14, it's probably 20-some years old. Uh, I, I think it's old, a 2006. Oh, yeah? No, th- was it 2006, 06? yeah. Was it 06? Yeah. Man, yeah. How, why did I know that? Off 17 my years ago. But ask me about 17 anything years ago, about man. grade 7 science. Yeah. Well, I, se- I have nothing. 17 years ago now. The, the important realities of life, I don't know, but Prestige coming out in 2006, I know that one. <laughs> you remember that one. Yeah, the Prestige. I guess 17 years ago. Yeah, I haven't figured out that uh, the calendar's changed. All right, Brock Besser. Yeah, Brock skated Besser. hard at the end. Tremendous movie, by the way. Yeah, Brock Besser skated hard at the end as well, and he did meet with the media post game and talked about they did a good job getting the lead, but then that's where it fell apart. Um, you know, they came out hard. I thought we had a good response after the first few shifts and got you know three goals, and um, you know they kept pressing and got some back, and um, you know after the first period, zero zero game. In a way, you know, yeah, 0-0 yeah. game on the road. Um, and then, you know, a lot of penalties and power plays. And, you know, they scored on the power play. We didn't get a power play goal. So, you know, there's a couple little things that make a difference in the game. Is it, you know, in the end, it's a detailed story for you guys right now? I mean, you talked a lot about that this year, but is it just a couple bounces, a couple yeah, I think bad decisions? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, they're pushing and, um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, bearing, grinding down and bearing down and getting the puck out, I think. Um, you know, it's a couple of those plays, but, um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, we want to win. Um, came up short, but um, we got to keep pushing. We got to keep working hard and get this in, get, get this going in the right direction. Is there something about the power play that you said you try differently, something different you guys have been sort of haven't been as consistent on the power play lately as you were earlier? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we all know that, and you know, I think when you might you think about it, I think you might look for the perfect play a little too much when, you know, you know it's not going too well. But um, you know, I think we just need to start shooting it and getting lots of shots and bodies to the net, and I think that's that will kind of turn the ship in the right direction. You've had a quick seven points up since you came back from the floor. Are you feeling that your game got another goal tonight, right in front? Yeah, um, you know, I'm feeling well and. Um, you know, I got to keep working. I got to keep pushing uh, to, to play good hockey for our team and keep producing for our team. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of all that matters. I think uh, you know, me, Bo, and Mickey have some good chemistry going, and we got to keep that up for our team and um, keep scoring for our team and keep pucks up or not. Obviously, challenges for you mentally going through what you've been through, but for the team, does it does it get to be tiring, kind of exhausting mentally, to all these games where? 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think we went through it a lot at the beginning of the year, and I think it's been a lot better. And you know, obviously, uh, it happened again tonight. And um, you know, I, I think I did like our pushback there in the third. Um, you know, down by two, still on the road, and I, th I thought we didn't give up. I thought we didn't fold like other times in the past, and um, I, I thought we pushed pretty hard. And fortunately, we didn't get one. And um, you know, like I said to him. Um, you know, we didn't score any goals on the power play, and they scored a couple, so I think that's the difference in the game. you feel for, for Spencer? You know, he gives up three in the first, but he makes about five star yeah. saves at the same time. Yeah, they were, they were pushing hard in the first, and, you know, we expected that. And, um, you know, I thought we did well in scoring three goals. and um, But, you know, if you, if you let up on the gas just a little bit, it shows you with a team like that what they're going to do. And, you know, they showed us, so I think we need to learn from that. That's Brock Besser uh, post game and talked about the difference being the power play and and in a one goal game he's not wrong they weren't able to score on the man advantage Pittsburgh was able to do so but there's so much more that goes into this loss but in spirit though I understand what he is saying because you lost by one goal and had you got one on the power play maybe you do force overtime or perhaps the end result is different and that's the other storyline of this game and also the recent trend pick the power play has really lost a lot of that wattage that made it one of the better power plays in the league. They run hot and cold. Yeah. That's that's who they are. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of tweaks here and there that they've tried to institute. Um, now, again, I've, I've talked about two of that. I'd rather a power play that's kind of like one for four and they're at least you know putting up numbers. Um, now, the last three games, they managed to convert a power play goal. Uh, and then in the four games prior to that, they struggled to do that. Uh, th sorry, three games prior to that, they they went over. Uh, obviously, you know tonight uh, they go o four five. Is that the defining moment in the game here, Sat? That they couldn't convert on the power play? I think it's a f yeah. I mean, plus give up to themselves. Okay, so so you know what, and this is something that. I have to be fair about, right? Because we talk so much about games and samples, and we always, oftentimes say sometimes a game can go either way. It's, it's, a, it's a game and bounces, and the process wasn't great tonight. But in fairness, the difference was the power play. Yeah. You make you get one more goal and prevent one. And prevent one, and hey, maybe you win or it's tied or whatever it is in this game, right? It's harder to accept because of their overall process recently. But yeah, I think the story, the game script of the story does come down to that. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. It's just tiring to see the team play the same way and then look at it and say, well, if the power play had, had come through, you would have won the hockey game. It's like, but that's what they are. This hockey team is reliant on the power play to win. And when the power play doesn't come through and they allow a goal on the PK, it's very hard for them to win a game. We really saw that this evening. We had a text earlier where someone texted in saying, hey, like, what is this team's identity? And I just replied back and said, you know what? I don't have a good answer for you. Uh, and it's probably true that their, their identity is meant to be we can score in the power play and goaltending. Mm -hmm. Well, they certainly are not getting goaltending uh, here recently. And, and that's more, you know, for me, it's more about the environment. Some people are far more critical of the goaltending. And it's fair, like, I, I don't think, like, either one exonerates the other. It's just, it, it is tough to ask Spencer Martin, Colin Delia to play in this environment and try to play league average save percentage, right? Yeah, for journeyman goaltenders yeah. who are supposed I, to be like, hey, Delia is supposed to be a third-string spot backup guy, and Martin being a guy who maybe got 20 starts spotting 
Thatcher Demko this season. Again, that's just how I feel about it. Some people are more critical about goaltending. That's fine. That's your opinion. We welcome them here into the postgame show. But, like, the power play is supposed to be their other identity. Yeah. And for this team, I, I really think even just being, like, ninth best for me is not good enough. You you have to be one of the best power plays in the league. And coming into tonight, I think they were 12th They've best. been slipping. I mean, they, they were top five. And throughout the past week, they've slipped from top eight all the way down outside the top ten. So in the past uh, handful of games here... Uh, they have gone uh, five, so including tonight, it would be five for 20, which is about 20%. Yeah. Um, but it, it, in this new NHL, where 20% kind of slips you to, uh, you know, 12th, basically. Yeah. Uh, actually, a bit lower. 20% would, would put you closer to, the, to 20th. A lot of teams are very successful cashing in on the power play. Like, Buffalo's at 28.7%. They're number two. Behind McDavid and Drysaddle at thirty one percent for the Oilers, and and that's the thing. It's just being okay at the power play. Top ten is is not good enough. They 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 really have to lean into it and be a consistent threat on the power play, and they're just not. Well, I mean, when your PK is the worst in the league, your power play has to be close to the best in the league, and even then, it's not good enough because of how porous the PK is. Bick, the PK is at, at what, 66% efficiency? So is that what we're talking about here? Not good. It's horrendous. This is The Canucks are on pace to have a historically bad PK yet again. Yet again! And it's it's the same group going out there. And we, we saw it have success last year. And that's why I do say, Sat, like, some of this can come down to coaching. Yeah. And philosophy and, and how you intend to... Uh, play defensively because last year we saw success. Brad Shaw was here and Scott Walker was here and, and, and the strategy that they were implementing had success in the back half of the season. So part of it is dynamic coaching can, tra- can change that and maybe that's something we see once this regime finally makes a, a coaching decision on it. So I, I have some hope that it can flip, but I also want to see the personnel change as well. Like, Ilya Mikheyev has to play more on the PK. That, that's one of the things he's getting paid for. Yeah. It's or, one of the things he had success in. Again, like, hey, we can talk about Boudreaux being in a tough spot, but how many answers are these guys finding as a coaching staff? It, it's the same and, like, are, eight guys that play are playing prominent roles. So, for instance, we were talking about Garland before the game. So, Connor Garland, when he was in Arizona, was getting about 70% off as his own starts. Like, a guy that needs to be put in off as a position, and, he, and he's successful. He had more off as his own starts last year for the Canucks. This year, he's at under 50%. Is that putting that player who's more offensive-minded in a good position where he's getting more defensive zone starts than he's getting off as his own starts? But it's the thing that it's for, for a coach that's coaching just to get two points— Am I going to put Bo Horvat out there more often, or am I going to put J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson out there? I get it; it's tough, but like he is leaning on those guys to try to boost his winning percentage as much as he can. Yeah, and I understand that, but at the same time, the team's not winning. You're not boosting that percentage, and everything you're doing is at a de- detriment. So, on the Mikaya front, are you maximizing his value by having him out there on a PK enough? Probably not. Again, it's you're not utilizing the players you have to their strengths that would actually help your team. 
because you feel like your back is so against the wall that you're only relying on the six or seven core guys, veteran guys that you feel comfortable with. That's how he's coaching. And this is what people criticized Jay, uh, Travis Green for last season. And guess what? Travis Green's team was playing better than this Canucks team, not in terms of overall points, because they're pretty similar now where they are, but that team was giving up less. They're creating less, far less, but they were better defensively than what this team was doing now. And the PK was just as bad as it is now. I mean, we, we were laughing at the PK last year. It was at 67, 68%, the same thing these guys are at now. And last year, uh, as you mentioned, they were playing more low event and the the big problem last year was the offensive creation. It just completely dried up in the first 25 games, and it was very much, hey, let's just get the puck to the point, put it through, and if we can tip it in, maybe we'll create some offense or some rebounds opportunity. You mm-hmm. know what really would have helped if Bo Horvat was having this season at the start of last season? Because yes. the way they played last season at the start under Travis was like tip-ins and rebounds. That's what we want. Well, yeah, This creating- version of Bo last year would have been awesome. Yeah, alas, they find themselves where they are at this stage, losing 5-4 in Pittsburgh tonight. And let's go to a man who was at the scene, watched it all unfold, the man we call the closer and the triple threat. You hear him hear him on radio, see him on TV, read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. Over at Power Play Goal Paints Arena. Worst name. Well, it was Power Play Goal Arena tonight for the Penguins. Yeah. Wouldn't that- it be good if – would the Canucks – be better off if they had a closer i think they would yeah potentially just someone on the power play and just trots out just for uh, the two minutes yeah well not uh, i'm not talking special teams i'm just talking generally i mean it's astounding we're not at the halfway point yet that comes Mm -hmm. that comes thursday and the team has lost uh eight games while leading by multiple goals this is the third time this season they've lost after leading three nothing I mean, yeah. think about that. Like, normally if that happened once, you'd, you'd probably remember it the whole year. And if it was a really good team, you might be, like back when the Canucks were winning President's Trophies, you'd probably remember that game for a couple of years. It's happened three times in 40 games. And and granted, you know, the it hadn't happened uh, since November. This, mm-hmm. is, this is the first multiple-goal game they've lost since, since November, so they've been a little better, but also... <laughs> Let's keep in mind they haven't had multiple goal leads very often either. But uh, I was, uh, that was just, you know, I would say something else, but it, it wasn't something else. It's just what we've seen so often from the team this season once they got up 3 nothing. Well, it, it really is, right? Like, it's, we've seen this quite often, and the Canucks are on pace to smoke the NHL record for most multi-goal leads blown that lead to a loss. The record is 11, Ian. They're on pace for 16. Now yeah. we'll see if they actually get. The have 16. I got? By the way, have I? Have I? Sorry to interrupt. Have I got? That is correct, right? They've lost. This is the eighth. Yes, you're eight. correct. Yeah, because I've seen a stat that they've they've blown multiple goal leads ten times. So I think that includes a couple of games where they did it twice. So. Yeah, some games. Well, they've they blown. Games, I think. Yeah. A, or sorry, tonight would be the tenth game or eleventh game where they've blown a multi-goal lead, but they've gone on to win some of those. Yeah. 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 So I mean. The, that kind of play is is not it's just not survivable like when you're when you're giving away points like that and i don't want to say giving away games because a lot of these games they simply got outplayed like pittsburgh from the 7 minute mark was just a vastly superior team they didn't they didn't give away the puck in their in their slot they checked people uh and they scored a lot obviously um 
but when when you have that many opportunities to win games, those many head starts, and you're getting nothing out of it. I think there's only two of those games. They've actually even got a point. You know, they've lost uh, the the three that they've lost after leading three nothing were all in regulation. I mean, you you can't unless you're a hundred, you know, legitimately a hundred or a hundred ten point team, you can't survive that. This this was never going to be a, a triple digit team you know when we were talking before the season you know it was somewhere in the 90s and if it was a good season maybe it's 95 96 and and you know the over under was probably a, a little lower than that you know maybe 92 but you know they don't have the margin to error for error to in the standings as we've seen to to give away this many games when they when they had a chance and, and should have gotten something out of the game they just needed they needed a stop mm-hmm. you know I used a baseball analogy mm-hmm. about you know too bad they not but they needed they needed a stop just you know in that in that three goal barrage by the Penguins when they could have scored six because Spencer Martin was the best Canuck the team just needed. A line or a player or something to halt the momentum, and they just utterly failed to find one. Yeah, I mean, that's been kind of the story in general, though. When things really get away from them, they've had a really hard time reeling it back in. There's been a few comebacks, but generally, that that's been a big issue for it. And you know, there's a lot of buzz in the market, and it has been all season about Bruce Boudreaux's job security and where that trends and what may happen and what may give. I know Bruce post game mentioned that he still feels like a team wants to win. He talked about how in the third period, all the guys on the bench were activated and engaged, and they really wanted to get the tying goal. Do you do you see a team still playing for the coach? Well, I see a team that's playing kind of the same way now as they did at the start, which is the they're able to score goals, but they're they're in unable, uh, verging on uh, incompetent when it comes to defending. And you know, I I think the guys genuinely like Bruce. Um, I think that they saw what he did last year. They they appreciate his positivity, his support. Certainly, the older players who keep getting thrown out you know, shift after shift after shift, no matter what they do, uh, good or bad. I, I think they like him. So uh, I think I, I think they do uh, play for Bruce, but they just don't play w- well enough to win. They don't play the right way to win. And is that on the coach? Yeah, it's partly on the coach. But, you know, we're 40 games in. The the It's too late. You know, if, if, if changing your coach was going to make a difference – they'd have done that sometime in the first quarter when the team got off to uh, uh, an awful start. And uh, that's not to say that there, there won't be a change, but it's just not going to make any difference now. It, it, it's too late uh, to save this season uh, where they are in the standing. So, you know, unless, unless they have uh, Patrick Alvin and, and Jim Rutherford, uh, a coach in mind for next season who's available now, you know, I, I just don't really see any point to it. Yeah, maybe you, you promote one of the assistants and let him stand behind uh, the middle of the bench, but you know, that's not going to that's not going to change the fortunes of the team. And would that be more of a, a thing that you talk about in late February kind of scenario? And and in the here and now, you just kind of let this bleed out. No, I, I'm not saying that big. I'm just saying I, I think if 
if they were serious about changing the coach, if they thought the coach was the problem for the team, they'd have changed him already. You know, they may, maybe maybe there's a different coach on Thursday. Who no, who knows? But I, I just I, I think the debate is kind of moot. Uh, there's it, it's very hard to envision a scenario where, where any scenario where Bruce Boudreaux's coaching this team next year. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So so uh, you know what difference does it make whether it's now, whether it's a month from now, whether it's at the end of the season uh, that they make that decision. I think if, if, if they were going to make a decision that had any bearing on this season, it would have been in the first 20 games. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you generally speaking, but I just kind of wonder too, just as the season goes on, what gives, cause it's clear that, you know, things are not working and not that you're going to save anything, but as far as just what kind of change are you starting to offer? Cause the trade deadline is approaching. The question, though, is how much can they do as they get towards the, towards the trade deadline? Because for all the talk about, hey, there's trade talk picking up, teams might be interested, the reality is we're still in the middle of the waiting game here. We talked about this in the postgame show. We're waiting to see where the Canucks finish in the standings to get, get a high draft pick, waiting for the trade deadline, waiting for the coach decision to happen, waiting for the offseason. It's, it's a waiting game right now, and the question is how long do we wait before the trades start beginning to happen? Well, it's like the pandemic never lifted as far as trades are concerned. And, and, and by that, I mean, like in, in our yeah. lives, we all, everyone um, suffered hardships and some, you know, great hardships. Uh, some uh, lost, you know, uh, ultimate, I shouldn't even, you know, raise this as a, as a, as a comparison, you know, lost family members. But our lives, we, we've, I think we all feel like they're kind of getting back to how they were. Well, the, as far as trades go, it's it's never gone back to how it was, and that's because it's not the pandemic. It's 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 the salary cap. It's a flat salary cap that's basically paralyzed the trade market, and we just see so little. We see so little movement. There's going to have to be some by the trade deadline because the Canucks have players that they can't let just leave for nothing. There, there's there's situations that absolutely must be resolved. You can't you can't you know, hold on to everyone through the trade deadline and try to solve them at the end of the season. That's not going to work. Where I am surprised, like getting back to, you know, Boudreaux or the issue of change, I am surprised that we've gotten to game 40 with the same group and the same coach. Like uh, if, if you'd told me in September with what, with what the expectations were, and not our our expectations, what the organization's uh, expectations were, you know the the stated goal, you know Bruce saying it would be a disaster if they're not in the playoffs. Everyone from from Rutherford on down, uh, declaring that the 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 baseline goal for this season was to be a playoff team. Like that's the minimum is, is to be a playoff team again. If you told me then that the team would get to the 40-game mark uh, the way it has, and not just the win-loss record, but the way they've lost, uh, the, the way they've bled scoring chances and goals, I'd, I would have thought there's no way we're largely going to see the same group. I mean, not only has the core not been touched, you know, nothing has been touched. Uh, no one's been traded off the roster since since Jason Dickinson, which was, you know, on the, on the eve of the season. So that part surprises me. Uh, I, I thought 
mind you, let's remember as well, this regime came in in December. So it didn't see the dark days that we saw last October, November. But I would have thought, especially with a number of people in the organization uh, still uh, still with uh, management from last season, I would have thought that they wouldn't, as an organization, let this go on to this point, that there would have been some some substantive change before game 40. And I know that they've been trying, you know, Brock Besser has been on the, been on the block with the involvement of his agent for, for over a month now. Uh, there, there's other players. They've been looking at the inefficient contracts, trying to move them since Rutherford and Alvin got here. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're not trying to make changes, but they haven't been able to do anything to alter, alter the group. And, and I just think, they need to have some kind of change. So maybe you're right. Maybe that just means fire the coach and bring in a new voice, promote somebody. Maybe it has a different message for the players, but I don't think that's nearly enough. I don't mm. think that's the problem. No. Just like I don't think goaltending is the problem for this team, I don't think coaching is the problem for this team. Yeah, I mean, they're not the problem. Are, are they helping the situation? You can say no, but they're not the issue that found, that puts the team in the spot they're in, and that's what they have to find and figure yeah, out. Yeah, they're, they're, sim- they're symptoms of the problem. Yes. They're not the cause of the problem. Yeah, I think that's a good way of breaking it down, Ian, and I look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca, which will be up in a little bit. I know you're working to get all this stuff done, and continue your way to Tampa to get some sunshine tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, it'd be nice to have a little sunshine on the team, but at least yes. uh, I'll get a little sun myself. <laughs> yeah, so. you know, you get some sun, and perhaps uh, you'll bring a nice sunny disposition to the post game show on Thursday. Yeah, well, that's a very good segue. <laughs> Aren't we all just tired, though? Like, don't we all need some sunshine after the first forty games here? Yeah, like it, it's so it's so. Um, I, I, I'm having a blast. I'm watching sharks and coyotes while you guys are talking oh, here. Okay, he's, he's big I, I as all think, involved in think, the bottom five finish. Yeah, yeah four two by the way. So sharks much, uh, coyotes with a minute to go. So right. there's sharks just so much fatigue, uh, fatigue yes. everywhere. Fatigue, you know. And, and this is a conversation for another day. But the the players are mentally tired. The staff is mentally tired. We're mentally tired. The fans are exasperated. Uh, everyone's just worn out by this. But see, I was making this point earlier. I would say, like, this is the stretch where, like, we're talking about, like, decisions coming at the end of the year. Like, this is the part where you have to have the stamina. Like, you've got to have the stamina to live through this right now. Like, this is the toughest moment, not the start of the season where it's like, hey, they got to do this. Like, this is the tough to, to, to live out through this reality for the next six weeks. I'm doing the best I can, Big. No, you are, we are, but, like, collectively, <laughs> everyone. Like, we got to do this together here to, to get through these next six weeks. Yeah, well, we'll lean on each other, but... You make a good point. If if it's going to be, you know, players that you win with and and you have, you build an identity because you know this team hasn't done that other than what we've seen. The identity isn't very good. You 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 have to have guys who can who can battle through and soldier through and 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 be tough mentally. But I just think I just think everything that's happened since the start of the year has kind of taken a toll. And we're seeing that toll now as part of what's going on right now. You know, and uh, we can't fast forward to the end, so we got to get through it game by game, and we'll see if it's any different on Thursday in Tampa against the Lightning. And make sure to read Ian's latest on sportsnet.ca. And we thank you for your time, Ian, and I do look forward to our chat on Thursday, despite the fact we've been talking about a lot of the same things. 
Yeah, well, I'll look forward to that as well, and we'll see if there's a win somewhere on this road trip. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. They still have uh, three more games to go on this road trip, and we'll find out. Thanks for your time, Ian. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. He's Bick Nazar back on the People Show tomorrow, 3 to 4. What's on tap? Draft season, baby. Coyotes and uh, uh, no, a, a Sharks uh, update tomorrow? No, no, because that game will be resolved. Uh, right. I, I think that game has ended. No, we're talking to uh, Will Scouch, who uh, does great work. I like it. <laughs> you just like lowered your head. You're uh, like, oh, we're, we're, we're previewing prospects already? No, no, I, I'm actually I'm on board with it. I, that came off a lot more dejected <laughs> than I meant it to be. No, it's good. I mean, I, I'm excited to listen to Will tomorrow. Will has nice breakdowns, and he, For he's fantastic. on top of things. And he does very interactive For work. Sure. Uh, you can yeah. find him on his YouTube page, at Scouching. And uh, again, we'll talk to him tomorrow start looking ahead to the 2023 nhl draft outside of just winning the lottery set we'll, we'll do that uh, throughout the course of the, the end of the season here. yeah we'll have some fun with that i'm satyar shaw back at it on canuck central tomorrow with dan riccio at four o'clock we have kevin whitley joining us plus overrated underrated thanks to ben bastard our producer today coming up next it is the post post game show with josh elliott wolf and ben we're going to make him keep working so he's Going to produce and co-host the post-game show with Josh Elliott-Wolf. It's like Wolf of Wall Street. The show goes on! <laughs> it continues! Can't wait for the unlimited post-game shows, when it, whatever year that begins again. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your interaction and being part of the post-game show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.